Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is a Thursday, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, which means it is time for our weekly listener mail segment. It is, by the way, definitely not brought to you by this thing, Lucky Jack. I don't know, Matt, Noel, can you guys see this, Doc? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, is that coffee? Um, that's what it says on the label, but I'm starting to debate it. You know, maybe I've just been drinking trash coffee for so long. I, I can't drink the fancy stuff. <laughs> but this is not brought oh, yeah, to you yeah. by Lucky Jack. Instead, if this is brought to you by coffee, it's brought to you by, and the whole crew knows about this, this oversized carafe that I just keep guzzling. Uh, You're going to die, Ben. Everybody's going to die. Life's a one-way trip. Uh, Your heart's just going to explode like on air. And what a way to go. I mean, honestly. It'll it'll do a lot for the show, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, But before we go gentle into that good night, let's rage against uh, the dying of the light in the form of letters and calls 
from you. Uh, we are going to travel just outside of Bangkok. We're going to hear about what what one listener calls the greatest video conspiracy of all time, 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 time. And before we do any of that, we're going to uh, we're going to get a little red lodge with it. I would say we're gonna we're, we're gonna follow up on something we teased in a previous episode. Uh, something about masking, something about backwards. No, not anti-masking though. This is a different kind of. No, masking, no, no, no. Right? I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pro-mask. Whether or not there's a pandemic, it's just time for yes. the, the species to admit eighty percent of eighty percent of human beings look better with a mask on. I would tend to agree. The type of masking we're talking about today is of the backwards variety, or just back masking, uh, which is a term that. Was probably invented by lawmakers, uh, puritanical ones in particular, evangelical ones that, you know, back when uh, records and rock and roll and, uh, you know, all of that stuff was very much associated with wickedness and, and the devil. And there was a lot of uh, witch hunt type vibes, you know, satanic panic type um, situations involving looking for hidden messages in uh, albums. Um, there's a book I'm actually <laughs> somewhat uh, close to finishing up. I've been listening to it on audiobook for probably most of the pandemic now because I tend to fall asleep and then I wake back up and I have to backtrack. But it is called A Boy's Life and it's by Robert McCammon, who I think oh. you're familiar with, Ben. He wrote a book called Swan Song that I quite like. It's a very good uh, post-apocalyptic um, kind of situation, sort of like uh, The Stand. It came out around the same time, but it's a lot more gory and kind of uh, bleak in my opinion. But this book is about supernatural occurrences, but it all takes place um, in a sort of a small southern town. And there is a part in it where there's a preacher that comes to town who takes a, of the single of Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys and plays it backwards in front of this congregation and says, you see there? You see that sound? You hear that? That's uh, the sound of these uh, devil worshipers trying to, you know, convince children to come and follow Satan or whatever. And, you know, one of those things where if you listen to it enough, you maybe could hear it repeatedly, you know, like when words start to lose their meaning, when you say them over and over and over again, sort of the reverse of that. Um, but it very much was a thing. And there were actually trials that, uh, you know, were uh, founded on the notion that um, suicides, for example, uh, took place as a result of hearing these subliminal messages. One in particular involved Rob Halford and the band Judas Priest. Um, and we had the email you're talking about, Ben, that we teased, a wonderful email from a listener who has some experience in this subject very specifically because he is uh, a musician and I uh, used to be in a band in the 80s um, that was very well known, a band from around here that toured with R.E.M., made records for Elektra and, and Geffen and had a, a fantastic career in the 80s and, and very beloved. They're an Atlanta band called Guadalcanal Diary. Mm -hmm. um, and Matt, I believe you spoke to, to Murray on the phone, didn't you? Yes, I did. Wonderful human being. <laughs> and, and lots and lots of stories to tell about living a life as a professional musician. Very cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. And one of those stories um, is what was in this email. So I'm just going to go ahead and get to it. He says, hello, STDers, which I love, by the way. Um, I've listened to the show for a long time and love it. Regarding your 531 2021 classic, are there real devil worshipers? You mentioned that in Judas Priest's legal case, they stated that had they done backward masking, it would have been a message encouraging listeners to buy seven more copies rather mm -hmm. than to praise the devil. Uh, 
He goes on to say, in the 1980s, I was the lead singer in the band Guadalcanal Diary. While in the studio, cutting our third album for Electra Records, at a period when backward masking and satanic panic were current topics, we did something very similar, but for our own amusement. Our guitarist, Jeff Walls, um, who was also in an incredibly excellent band called The Woggles, uh, an Atlanta kind of garage uh, rock band, um, who, who sadly passed away, I believe, in 2019. Um, but I got to play several shows with them back in the day uh, in a band that I was in. Excellent, excellent guitarist. Um, our guitarist, Jeff Walls, and I recorded the message, Kevin, this is a hit song. Howard, this is a million seller. And inserted it into the mix in reverse. Kevin and Howard were our A&R guys and were responsible for encouraging the record company's promotions department to push specific songs. We were curious to see if it would have the desired effect. It did not. Keep up the great work. Murray Attaway. Um, I, th- I thought that was just wonderful um, because it really does kind of hit home the fact that, A, if anyone was doing this, it was probably for fun or for their own amusement or as like an Easter egg for listeners. I don't think anyone thinks that any artist was actually thinking that by putting something like this into an album, it was going to actually have some kind of like behavior transforming effect on its listeners. But that was exactly what Judas Priest was accused of doing in that court case 25 years ago, or actually the article that I'm reading in Rolling Stone came out in 2015. So this is like 35 years ago or more, a little more. Um, Rob Halford, uh, the singer of Judas Priest, kind of, you know, looks back on this. Um, And the claims that were made uh, about the subliminal messages were things uh, being included in there backwards, like try suicide, do it, and let's be dead. Uh, And again, you know, these are things that you could probably convince yourself were in there. Just because when you flip words backwards... They sound crazy and they sound they're they're like weird ghosty syllables. I mean, just try it with anything. You could probably convince yourself that that uh, that it's just about any phrase that you it's like looking at clouds, right? It's like you're looking at cloud formations and you say, oh, that's definitely a rhinoceros. And somebody else looks at it like, nah, man, that's a, you know, car or like a choo choo train or something like that. It's all in the eye or the ear of the beholder. And when you start to push a narrative like, oh, this is definitely about trying to kill yourself, especially if the music has dark undertones in the first place, which I never found Judas Priest to be particularly dark. They were almost more on the glam tip. I mean, like kind of this like high pitched kind of like vocal and uh, a little bit, you know, not like death metal. Exactly. It was almost more like kind of glammy, big, you know, rollicking kind of like theatrical rock. So I always thought it was funny that they kind of got saddled with this. Um, But they did get off uh, for this charge. Um, It was also, by the way, in a cover song, uh, a cover of the band Spooky Tooth's Better By You, Better Than Me, um, which supposedly, according to the courts or the prosecution, influenced two young men uh, to to take their own lives. Uh, it was Raymond Belknap, uh, who was 18 at the time, and James Vance, who was 20, that they had spent a lot of time drinking alcohol and smoking weed and listening to this uh, album, Stained Class, um, after which time they took a shotgun and shot themselves. And I would highly recommend anyone that's interested in this case to check out this article in Rolling Stone uh, from 2015 um, called Judas Priest Subliminal Message Trial, Rob Halford Looks Back by Corey Grow. And it's all, you know, from the perspective of Halford himself. And he 
literally says, during the case, I really wanted to go over to the mother of the boy who killed himself and give her a hug and say, I'm sorry for the loss of your kid. Um, let's go have a coffee and talk this over. As Obviously, long as it's not something. Lucky Jack. Uh, yeah, really? Is it just too much? It's too, like too... spearmints or something. I mean, oh, no, I'm, that's not. No, it doesn't work for coffee. Tuned in. I'm listening, but I, I'm just... I'm just cheap enough to feel like I have to finish drinking it. I totally get it. And um, I just think, you know, that level of empathy uh, speaks volumes, I think, to the fact that this clearly was not any kind of intentional, um, you know, there was no intent behind this other than to just try something clever and be creative. And I think it's uh, maybe the jury's still out on whether – they actually inserted those things or if it was just sort of the interpretation of some of these right wing Christian groups. Ben, did, did you have any insight on that? Uh, yeah. I mean, you're not far off with the clouds. It's sort of an audio Rorschach. People people are hearing what they want to hear. And, and you know, we know because we've dove in to some uh, explorations of this kind of thing. And we have to remember that, you know, uh, we have the benefit of better forensic audio equipment now in terms of software, primarily, honestly. And at the time, people didn't have that. So if they thought for some maybe sincere reason uh, that this was a tool of Satan worshiping rock stars, uh, then, of course, they would hear what they were primed to hear. There's a confirmation bias. But I would also advance, you know, this is occurring during the era of satanic panic. There were a lot of people, especially politicians, who personally could not care less. They just wanted to get some votes, wanted to rally uh, their political base. I mean, it's it's obvious, first off, that if somebody was trying to do something like this sincerely, you know, if uh, like a metal band or no, a metal band wouldn't work. Um, I'm thinking of a different like if it turned out that band, the Cardigans, they were a metal band once upon a time. If it turned out the Cardigans were secretly devil worshippers and they wanted to put in backmasking instructions to make people do horrible satanic things or whatever that, however you want to define that, then the big question is whether or not it would work. Like, would it induce those behaviors in people? And the answer, honestly, is no. Of course. I think it's clear. It reminds me a lot of these congressional hearings that took place in 1993 around violent video games. And there's a fabulous episode of this Netflix limited series, High Score. It's about kind of the history of video games from its inception or from their inception to close to modern day. It didn't go quite as far as I would have liked. I would have liked to see like Minecraft and some of the new kind of retro game trends uh, sort of discussed. But it does talk about this time where it was like Mortal Kombat. We all remember walking into the arcade and seeing, you know, Sub-Zero pulling out someone's head with the spinal cord attached. But they're the most, that wasn't even the biggest, the game that made the biggest splash in those hearings. It was this game called Night Trap that was like in the era of full motion video where it was, they're really dumb. It's a really dumb game and very bad. It's like, you know, trying to choose your own adventure, kind of like Dragon Slayer, but like with actual uh, actors and, 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 um, it's sort of like these scantily clad sort of co-eds in like a dorm room type situation. And there are these like murderers that are coming in, but like they talk about the whole the impetus behind it and how they ended up where they ended up. They couldn't just have like straight up slashers because they knew that would like be way too controversial. So they ended up making them these like 
weird vampires that had these like kind of grabber claw gun things, but they weren't actually guns. There was this whole thing about what they could and couldn't be. And it was like they were blood sucking devices, essentially. They would like wrap around the victims necks and suck their blood or whatever. But it was very clear from those hearings that the uh, the um, lawmakers that were questioning it and they were saying this was, you know, absolutely corrupting the youth had never actually played the game or, I mean, of course, they hadn't played the game, but hadn't even really seen the context of the scene that they played, which was something yeah. involving Matt. You, I could see you nodding like you remember, remember what the scene was. It was something like out of context, a scene where a woman gets grabbed through glass or something and it makes it look like you know like a, like an 80s horror movie but there's no bloodshed and there's certainly no like sexual violence or anything like that but yet they use this out of context to show that this was depraved and and meant to corrupt the youth you know uh, on purpose so first of all to your point that the people making these this decision didn't play night trap that's because not many people had a sega cd <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. So many people did, but not that many. And uh, not that many played Night Trap. I remember playing it a couple times in a friend's house, and I never got to that scene. And I honestly haven't looked into it. But I do, I can tell you that it was fairly tame, sure. uh, no matter what it was. <laughs> well, let's also keep in mind that, and I think you can agree, I hope you can agree with me here, Murray, about how silly and heartbreaking this is. The utter hypocrisy of politicians and quote-unquote concerned citizens at the time to say, we have to watch out for video games. Oh, there's a secret message in a very radio-friendly song that's going to make you go crazy, but let's not talk about how many people we are killing abroad, right? No. Let, let's not talk about how many parts of the U.S. population are being violently repressed. This is very much... Uh, pay no attention to the crimes behind the curtain kind of thing. And to me, you know, to me, backmasking is cool. I love stuff like that. I love subversion of form. You know, like you're reading a novel, totally. the page numbers get all screwy. That's amazing. And this is kind of a another thing, you know, but that stuff is that stuff is brilliant and fun and creative. And I applaud it. But um, I find it, you know, I, I find these kind of moral panics cynical, disgusting, and ultimately offensive. But, you know, that's my soapbox. Sorry, I yield my time. Also, that also the game you guys are mentioning, I, I remember it. I didn't think it was that crazy. It wasn't. That's the whole point. Like, I mean, it, it, And if you watch the documentary, it shows you more of the context, and it's actually laughably bad and, like, not scary or particularly violent at all. And they went to such great lengths to make it as inoffensive and tame as possible, and yet these, you know, kind of, puritanical lawmakers still glommed on to one particular scene taken out of context. Um, there's a really good quote in uh, the article I'm talking about with Rob Halford kind of reflecting back on the case. And in this article, they ultimately, and what, you know, the case kind of rested on was, was their intent uh, and then the defense of the band was more looking into the state of mind of these young men who are obviously massive Judas Priest fans. And the, the writer makes the point that that makes it all the more heartbreaking that this is how, you know, or this was the circumstance under which, which they lost their lives and kind of the legacy they left behind to kind of like run their favorite band up the flagpole and kind of pillory them in this very public way. Um but it all came down to these young men had substance abuse problems and depression issues and that they likely would have done this either way without any intervention from some sort of 
deus ex machina in the form of like, you know, hidden messages on a Jews priest song, which Ooh. again, like you said, Ben, is very tame and radio friendly. Well, this is the last, last thing I'll, I'll say here on this. And I appreciate that you're bringing up this point. Think of it this way. Somebody, um, somebody eats a tuna melt. And they've eaten tuna melts in the past. Maybe not every day, but, you know, they like a melt. And then one day, this person who's eaten a tuna melt uh, goes and commits some horrific crime or injures themselves or someone else. This is sort of like saying, now we need to get rid of tuna melts. It's, right. it's, it's like it's misattributing the cause. 100%. And, and um, in, in this article, Halford really goes quite in depth into his understanding of the history of backmasking and, you know, traces it back to where he first heard about it, which was in like Led Zeppelin songs, for example. But what is that? The one where it's like stairway to heaven. It says like my sweet Satan, there, there was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Oh, my sweet Satan. It does kind of sound like that. I've definitely heard that, that flipped. Uh, and, but it's like one of those things where it's like, did Pink Floyd make, the dark side of the moon with the intention of sinking it up to the wizard of Oz. It works. You can do it. It's really cool. But was their intent? I, I don't know. I, maybe with the Zeppelin sweet Satan line there is, but he'd never hear that. That's a different kind of backmasking, right? That's you're hearing it forward and then you play it backwards. So you have to choose to play the record backwards to even hear the message. Whereas I think with the Halford case or the, the priest case, it was in the record already backwards. Uh, Murray, please let us know if I'm getting that wrong. Um, but he makes a really great point, um, Halford, in this in this interview, where he says, either way, my interpretation of subliminal messages as we presented it is how in the old days you'd go to a movie and someone would insert a frame of film that suggested you buy popcorn. But even then, it was real and it was physical because you could take that frame and go, look, there it is. You can't do that with words because you have to actually hear them. And then if you can hear them, then how can they be subliminal or subconscious like in a dream? I think that's a great point. The, the basic concept that backwards words somehow being uh, turned in the listener's mind into frontwards words. And then those concepts become attached to, you know, an action that is taken. It's pretty laughable. So, yeah, I, I do agree. That's that's insane. Um, yeah. Backward back. Backward mash Exactly. Uh, it may. Whenever I hear think about this, I always think of the what is he called? The dream, uh, the the dream man from the Twin Peaks series who, who speaks backwards. You know, that guy had to learn how to do that, and it's really hard. And it and it really takes you a lot of effort to even hear what he's trying to say. You really need the subtitles a lot of times. I think he's called just the man from from the dream. Um, but I, I, by the way, it was I was confusing some things. So I believe. Murray was saying they inserted backwards syllables into their record, like in a like behind the actual mix. And I believe in the Judas Priest case, they're saying that these phrases were hidden in forwards, you know, phrases that you had to play backwards to actually hear. I think so. Uh, let me know if I got that right, Murray. Um, but yeah, really great points. Really amazing story. Um, clearly a test case that didn't <laughs> didn't turn out. I uh, hope you sold. At least uh, a decent amount of records and singles, but maybe it wasn't the uh, the magic bullet that you were hoping it would be. But um, I love the the fact that you gave this a go. Um, but yeah, looking forward to hopefully one day meeting in person. And um, thanks again for the email. And we'll take a quick break and then be back with more listener mail. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kids-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free what up everyone it's lunchbox from the bobby bone show and i'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the show, and now we are turning to our voicemail system. To get the next message, it comes from an anonymous individual. This is what they had to say. Uh, hey, fellas. Here's an idea for a show. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Merton, but uh, there's uh, some speculation that uh, the CIA may have assassinated him, which is kind of crazy, but given all that he was a pacifist, he was, died in 68, so conceivably I could see some nut job at the CIA being like, you have to stop this guy. He's going to hurt our chances in Vietnam. But uh, anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out. Uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> the CIA <laughs> assassination. Yeah, pacifist. There's somebody who did not, who was uh, speaking publicly and had some clout about something the government didn't want them to be speaking about. Uh, yeah. 
okay, CIA is in Central Intelligence Agency, not Cheese Inventors Association. Correct. That and was also, my bad. Yeah, also not the Catholic institution of atrocities? An, no, I an, don't know. Anointment? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really interesting thing that you're posing here, uh, whoever you are. We, we will call you mm, Monk-tastic. Nope. We will call you... Snake bite. <laughs> okay, no, no, that's it. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll call you snake bite. I like it. Let's do snake bite. Let snake bite fly. Let's, All let's, right. let's let snake bite fly. Flying snake bite, terrifying. Um, so yes, I personally did not know much about Thomas Merton. The name rings. It rang a bell as soon as you said it, and seeing pictures of this person. If you look online and look at a picture of Thomas Merton, he may look familiar to you. Perhaps many of you listening out there who were born maybe in the 50s would definitely recognize Thomas Merton. He was a name. He was a thinker and a pacifist and somebody who others listened to. And that has a lot to do with why he was in Bangkok, Thailand when he met his demise because he was he was speaking at a public engagement there. Or I guess it was I don't know if it was public or private, but he was he was at a speaking engagement where he was a speaker. So what I want to do really quickly, just to kind of ground us in Thomas Merton, is to look at some reporting out of the Irish Times from, it looks like 2015, 2018, and then maybe actually a bit from Britannica, Ooh. because, hey, you can still use Encyclopedia Britannica. It's just online now. It's not quite as mm, extensive as it once was. Well, and it's free, right? You don't have to like buy the whole set from like a traveling salesman or, or at least well, it used to be like an 800 number. But yeah, remember the fully. days of traveling salesmen selling encyclopedias? I missed. Yes, definitely. I miss. No, I don't. I don't miss no, the traveling no, salesman. The nostalgia of it is. Nice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's go, let's go to Britannica first, then we'll hop over to the Irish times. So Britannica says that this person, Thomas Merton, also known as father M Lewis was born in 1915, January 31st to be exact. And he was a poet, a writer, and most notably he was a monk. He was a Trappist monk, which is a really cool thing. You may be familiar with the term Trappist from some of the beer that you enjoy if you are of drinking age. But La uh, Fin du Mont. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Excellent beer. Excellent name. There, the, Yes, and then there are many beers in the Trappist style, some of which are still produced in the Trappist style at, um, at monasteries, which is a very cool thing, very cool tradition. And it's a weird thing that you, I think me growing up in the church, I never would have thought monks would in any way be associated with alcohol, at least not in the creation and selling of alcohol. But it's a it's an old, old thing that's been going on for a long time. I mean, I, I don't want to read directly from Britannica here, but honestly, I don't know much about Thomas Merton. So we're kind of learning this together as we go. Um, he did a lot of moving. He had an interesting life. American born mother, New Zealand born father. Um, they they were artists. They were living in France. He was baptized in the Church of England. You know, he was baptized in the Church of England, and then his life with some kind of church, some kind of religious movement, continued until his death in 1968. 
Uh, and you can, again, you can learn a ton about him. And maybe if we do a bigger episode on this, if it merits it, we'll go into all of that in his background. Um, what you do need to know is that he was in Thailand and the circumstances surrounding his death are a little weird. Even now, if you're attempting to find out exactly what happened to him, you may have some trouble because the exact details are somewhat unknown. A lot of it comes from the report of the two people that came upon his body when, when they found him and how those stories have kind of changed over time, how that game of telephone has, has altered some of the uh, understanding there as well as the official information coming from medical professionals who and, and investigators who dealt with his body and with the investigation into his death. Officially, he died by heart attack. At least that's what it was. That's what was recorded. Mm, it's also maybe electric shock, right? It could be electric shock. It could be only electric shock. It could be electric shock that caused a heart attack, or it could be something completely different. There are rumors all over the internet that you could find that he had a head wound when he was found. Uh, that is, I would say that's a rumor still. I, I haven't been able to fully conclude that that is actually what happened. Shades of um, McRae, though. Shades of Willie McRae there. Right? Right? Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about where he was found. I want to go to the Irish Times now. There's an article you can find titled... The Turbulent Monk, Did the CIA Kill Vocal War Critic Thomas Merton? It was published December 3rd, 2018. And if you go through here, they, by the way, call uh, Thomas Merton, quote, the most vocal critic of war, uh, which is really interesting. So, again, I feel terrible coming into this without doing more research, but I, I know for certain in everything I'm reading, he was very very anti-war and was not quiet about it. And he was influential. So we can imagine, as you stated, listener, that could be a reason why someone would want to stop him from continuing to talk. In this article from the Irish Times, they state that he was found dead in his room near Bangkok, where he had been the main speaker at an international monastic conference. They state that the cause of death given by the Thai police was heart attack. And there was no autopsy performed right. uh, on him because I, I, I can't say because likely due to the fact that there was a conclusion made early on in the investigation that there was no foul play, even though when he was found, he was wearing shorts and he was lying on a on his back, I believe. And on top of him was a fan like a stand stand up fan. I don't know what you call that. Just a fan on a stand. Feels like I'm trying to rhyme, um, but an electric fan that had toppled over onto his chest when he was found. Now, whether that was Jeez. due to a struggle, I don't know. The investigators didn't really say whether that was due to an accident. It just fell on top of him and whether or not that fan actually electrocuted him or not is unknown. However, the two people that came and found him when they initially saw his body lying there, when they saw him lying there, unknowing if he was alive or dead, Attempted to pick up the fan, and according to their stories, there was a smaller electric shock that went in that went through their hand when they attempted to pick up the fan. Done. There are, you know, who who knows if you if you continue reading this Irish Times article, 
they state this person named Jim Douglas, who was an associate of Merton, publicly raised this concept that perhaps there was a cover-up and that, that Thomas Merton was in fact murdered by somebody. But again, proving who it was, how, why, seems to be impossible at this time. There's a person named Matthew Fox, who's a theologian. He's the guy that stated that the CIA may have been involved mm-hmm. because there were active agents in Thailand, according to Matthew Fox. And uh, he says that one of these agents at some point made contact with him and told him this story and where they infiltrated this, this, uh, the living quarters of Thomas Murnor, or the place where he was staying in Bangkok, Thailand and killed him again. That's a story from somebody else that ends up getting printed somewhere without full verification. This feels like a, yeah, this does feel like a, a full episode, Matt, because I've been able to find, I have been able to find documents from the Thai government regarding mm-hmm. this. Uh, mm-hmm. And then a really great article written by David Martin and Hugh Turley called What We Know About Thomas Merton's Death. Yes. Yes, 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 uh, yes. Available yes. on the martyrdom of Thomas Merton.com. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot to the story, but right now, without digging in deeper, which of course we will do, uh, right now it's tough to say, it's tough to connect a lot of dots to the CIA, right? Unless mm-hmm. we get more information. We know that the CIA is pro war, uh, the CIA is pro assassination, by which I mean, they're not opposed to either of those tactics in pursuit of a goal. And we know that this guy was very much a pacifist, very much anti-war. But there are a lot of pacifists. There are quite a few anti-war activists. And while many of them get monitored by the CIA or the FBI or what, whatever, you know, spoonful of alphabet soup you like, uh, they don't usually get killed. They don't always get killed. They have to be pretty prominent. So my first question is, are there more dots that we can connect? And secondly, was there something that he was going to do? And is did his death prevent that from coming to pass? Because I believe you mentioned this. He was only 53. Yeah, uh, I did not mention that. He, he was only 53 when he passed away. And his posthumous bibliography is impressive. The amount of works that have come out since his death, it's pretty incredible. You can find a full list of those at the Thomas Merton Center at Bellarmine University, B-E-L-L-A-R-M-I-N-E University. It goes through and it shows a chronology of his publications starting in, oh, it just, it gives his life timeline basically with the publications that he made. And then if you go further down, it has this posthumous publication starting in 1969 running all the way to 2016 so these would have been like works that his trust gathered up and published on his behalf after he passed or the the family he was a prolific writer of everything from you know personal notes to other people to you know uh, personal writing like journaling kind of things to just meditations uh, meditations and and things things a minister would do you know that a priest would do essentially Writing, writing out thoughts in that way to be presented. And again, a public speaker. So who knows what they actually would have prevented if they did prevent anything, if someone did, in fact, kill him. Mm-hmm. A lot of ifs there, of course. But hey, thank you so much, whoever you are, 
that uh, that sent that voicemail in. We do appreciate it, and I can't wait to look more into this. Thomas Merton seems like a very fascinating person. Oh my god, yes. Uh, anyone who takes up the life of a monk is interesting to me because I feel like that doesn't happen often in a vacuum. Interesting, perhaps tragic things happen in in everyone's lives, right? But when you decide to to put the robes on and live that life. There's there's got to be something worth worth looking into there to at least tell a story about. No, I, I'm sorry, man. I'm just I'm just laughing because you said live that life. Yeah. I had a picture of like a, a you know a Franciscan or a Trappist monk saying, "Yeah, I'm about that life, son." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> or, or like having like a chest tattoo that says like priest life, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's yeah. it's uh there there is a place I'd like to shout out. I have a great interest in people who dedicate their lives to something spiritual on that level, uh, to that level of extremity. So uh, there is a fantastic monastery not too far from Atlanta called Our Lady of the Holy Spirit. I spent a lot of time there uh, and those folks are really chill. Like they're other than other than like their first answer for most things being that you should convert to Catholicism. They're super chill guys. I, I don't know. I mean, they wouldn't speak with us for a documentary back in the day, but that's okay. Which one? The green burial one? No, uh, something something. a couple of my friends and I were working on in college. But uh, we, we really wanted to talk to somebody, but they wouldn't do it. Oh, we'll try and get. Yeah, I've got to I've got to connect if you want to get your college. They, they, they wanted they wanted to sell me a lot of stuff in the gift shop. But anyway, mm. no, I'm not. No shade. No shade. It's just uh I didn't have as great an experience there. <laughs> oh yeah, I hear you. I, I got to say that, like, of all the the publications that are mentioned in in this uh, story, um, I am fascinated by this uh, book you mentioned, "The Martyrdom of Thomas Merton Investigation." Um, really interested to see how they kind of dissect this narrative, you know, around the the accident because there are a lot of uh, very fishy um, details in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you can go to places like edwardcurtain.com, check out reviews of that. You can also, actually, this one was tailored for us, you guys. There's a Huffington Post article published in 2011 titled, The Thomas Merton Book They Don't Want You to Read. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking for something to read, check out The Seven Story Mountain. That's, uh, I think, his autobiography? Maybe not. It's, it's one that he wrote. Uh, that people say is worth your time. So anyway, that's what we know about Thomas Merton. Now we will come back to look at his, the circumstances surrounding his death more very soon. Thanks so much. We'll be right back after another word from our sponsor. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, 
You don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back, fellow conspiracy realists. Quick update. Uh, I've, I've made some peace with the, uh, with the good folks over at Lucky Jack and did not mean to be disparaging in my earlier comments. You like that? Instant retraction on the show, you guys. I don't want any bad blood. Does it just, does it get better after it's in your stomach for a while? <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. You know, maybe I was just being a curmudgeon and I need to try to drink more fancy coffee, but maybe there's a conspiracy afoot. Maybe Lucky Jack just tastes better with every sip. You guys can have that tagline <laughs> because it might be literally true in my case. But this final piece of listener mail is also about a conspiracy, and it comes to us from Silent Slevin, S-L-E, number seven, E-N. So I'll cut right to the chase. Don't need a preamble. Uh, Matt, Doc, this one in particular is for you guys. The title is this, Potentially the Biggest Conspiracy in Gaming History. Silent says, Afternoon, gentlemen, and the not-to-be-forgotten Doc, this one is quite a doozy, but could have huge implications if true. The short version, people suspect that Hideo Kojima, most notably the creator of the Metal Gear series, is behind a seemingly small indie studio releasing an upcoming demo to a mysterious game that many suspect is a tease for a new Silent Hill. The story is time-sensitive, as this demo is now expected to release on Friday, June 25th. So by the time you hear this week's listener mail, 
this uh, this demo, if everything's legit, will have come out. One of the larger overall implications, says Silent, is that Kojima's fallout from Konami has all been a stunt since 2015. And Silent, you went on to include some links to some Reddit threads that talk more in depth about the story. And you say, if you've heard of this already, I hope you're enjoying the fun in the thought of this being true. If not, welcome to the rabbit hole. Best regards, Silent S. This is a cool one. This is a cool one. We've got some Hideo Kojima fans in the uh, in the stuff they don't want you to know family. He's done a lot of pretty crazy stuff. What do you guys remember him for specifically? I mean, I think for sure it's Metal Gear, right? For me. And mm-hmm. I mean, for me, that's all day, except for that weird one they made. I don't know if he was, ha, even had a part of in Which that Which was the one, one where like you're like crawling around on the ground for the first 45 minutes of the game. No, no, it's the one where you're you're a, a badass named Snake and you do no, all no, the cool no, badass no, stuff. No, and... but there's one a recent one where you're like in a hospital bed and and you escape and you're literally crawling around like kind of, you know, without full use of your limbs. He really commits to the realism, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. He's super into perambulation and it reminds me of. You know, I, I was really excited when he released Death Stranding, which was so cool. mysterious. And then critics called it a a walking simulator. But then in, in their reviews... <laughs> I was just about to say something about yeah. Death Stranding. Yeah. Okay, wait, did you play it, Doc? No, I didn't. I briefly considered it. It was like, okay, when they first started talking about it, I was like, no, that doesn't really sound interesting at all to me because it kind of sounded like a UPS simulator almost. But then like once it actually came out and I heard other people talking about it, I was like, that actually sounds pretty good. And it got some really good reviews. I think it won some video game awards Ooh, if wait. my memory serves me correctly. Wait, when, when you say and UPS also, simulator, genius, so. do, do you mean like like UPS, like you're like a delivery van oh, or something like that? Yeah. He's delivering yeah. packages like in oh, this okay. sort of like okay. post-apocalyptic sort of space, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a really big part of the game is him delivering these packages and you having to figure out a way to like make it across this terrain. Sorry, people, this isn't really spoilers, but you're like making it across this terrain without, you know, falling over with all of your packages on your back. Yeah, it's hard to walk in the game. That's the crazy, like when you read the critics reviews, the thing that cracked me up about it, and I I haven't ended up playing the game. I just read everything about it. Uh, The critics reviews are like, Death Stranding is mainly a walking simulator. Five out of five stars. It was a very well, <laughs> weird way to phrase the review, but uh, just just watch the video game donkey coverage of it, and you'll feel like you've played it, and you'll laugh and you'll cry, and and that's all you need. But but also you know support the creators of the game. But uh, sure, video well, game donkey is all you need. But also, of course, he's a genius and had like a huge level of respect for him based on his history in the gaming industry. So mm-hmm. uh, he also like takes himself and his work very seriously, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I know people who were very like sort of anti-Death Stranding and thought it sounded stupid when it first came out and then they played it and loved it. So it's been sort of on my list to get to, but my backlog is so long. I'm just, I just don't think I'm going to make it to he, it. He strikes me as almost like the type of luminary to the video game industry that like Hayao Miyazaki is to like the animation industry. I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah. In terms of the conspiracy, here's here's where the rabbit hole leads us. The story starts with a PlayStation 5 game called Abandoned. Back in April, 
Sony said, we've got this project coming from a Dutch company called Blue Box Game Studios. We can't tell you much about it, but get hyped. And from there, this beautiful, weirdly intricate conspiracy theory emerged, arguing that A, the game does not actually exist, and that B, it is instead a secret new project from Hideo Kojima. Uh, and this thing just like it blew up. So Silent S is not alone in being fascinated by this idea. People who believe in the theory or were at least interested in it set up a subreddit just to examine the mystery. Uh, it's weird to me because in a way, Kojima has kind of created his own mythology. You know, like if this were any other kind of video game creator, people would probably not be so quick to jump aboard a conspiratorial train. But he's yeah. he's done weird conspiratorial stuff in the past. He's made fake companies. He's hired actors, you know? Yeah, I want to go back to Death Stranding right there. Yeah. Isn't it Guillermo del Toro that ends up in Death Stranding, like one of the trailers? He's I in it. He's yeah, in, he's in the game, he, I think. Because there was some weirdness with with Guillermo and the game they were working on before Death Stranding, I don't I don't remember all of the stuff. It's kind of hard for me to pull all the details, but I know that he does things like that. He nods, he does nods to rumors, mm. to stuff that's happening in real life, like within the game world sometimes. And you know, if you if if you even look at the Metal Gear Solid franchise. The whole thing is this very poetic statement about war and nuclear weapons and mass destruction and the need for, you know, dominance by one tribe over another tribe. It's done very symbolically through this storyline, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that he does that with his and melding real world and fiction worlds together in that way. I don't know. It feels more to me, Ben, that the gaming world and fans of Kojima and of video games in general so very want a Silent Hill game to exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know I do. That demo that came out, uh, Doc, what was it called? There was a demo for the next Silent Hill game. It had the dude, it had the dude from The Walking Dead in it. And uh, anyway, I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I don't remember. Sorry. I think it was called Silent Hills there was a demo made for it that I went crazy over. I couldn't believe how it felt to experience the demo, but then it just, it ended up getting canceled. Silent Hills. Yeah. That's what it was called. P like I personally so badly want that game to be real uh -huh. that the possibility that this other game abandoned might be a Kojima Silent Hill game, just hiding because of, for political reasons or whatever makes my heart go a flutter. But hmm. I can't imagine that that could be real, but who knows? It's hard to discount anything when it comes to uh, Hideo. Hideo Kojima probably knows, I would guess, but that's <laughs> that's but he doesn't seem super into telling people. So this this gets in a little bit. Uh, we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but this is interesting because this theory blew up so quickly. Part of this hype comes from uh, a tweet on June 15th from these folks, Blue Box. They've deleted the tweet, but they said the following. Hear me out on this. They said, quote, guess the name, abandoned, equals, parentheses, first letter S, last letter L, 
in parentheses, reveal closing in dot, dot, dot. And then they say, hashtag PS5, hashtag exclusive. For the big Silent Hill fans, that's like, that feels like a smoking gun, right? Yeah. They would love, this tiny little studio would love for you to think they're <laughs> they're associated with Silent Hill. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point about it too. There is... There is some leveraging, right? Some opportunism, or at least some, um, they're capitalizing on stuff. The issue is that the head of the studio, the head of Blue Box, a guy named Hassan Karaman, he came forward and said, yeah, no, look, we, we don't actually have anything to do with this. And Kojima's fans did not believe him. Yeah, they, it's they too late. Like, you you opened that box. You're an actor. <laughs> admit it and he's like no i'm a game developer that's like my job i have this studio we make video games and people still didn't believe him until they found out that he had been posting on some forums for game developers for months and months and months uh so he looked like he was legit this happens a lot of times with any kind of conspiracy people want it to be so true so profoundly that they ignore what's actually happening. And Blue Box Games keeps saying, absolutely none of this is true. Maybe you all are spending too much time on the internet. Uh, But then I think, you know, to your point, Matt, everybody wants that game to be real. You know, so intensely do they want this that they're not going to let facts get in the way of a good story. And also, that's what they would say. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't come clean just yet. So, you know, just putting that out there. That's a really good point. Uh, Guys. Yeah. Guys, did you even take into account that this guy's initials, HK, are the same as Hideo Kojima? (laughs) We're blowing this thing wide open. (laughs) This is going to be the episode that spells doom for our show. This is going to be the line we weren't supposed to cross. While we're here, uh, I think it gives us it gives us a glimpse into how quickly these things can proliferate and how quickly they can fall apart. If you'd like to learn more, check out Kotaku.com's article: Hideo Kojima conspiracy theory ends with tears because it looks like these rumors just don't don't hold up. One great example of this, or one sad example for the true believers, comes to us from a reporter from Bloomberg named Jason Schreer. So Schreer is not, you know, a huge video game fan, but he was really interested in watching this uh, theory develop online in real time. And he started out kind of on board with it, but as he was digging in, you know, as investigative reporters do, he found more and more holes with these theories. First, Blue Box had a history of failed Kickstarter campaigns going back years and years and years, and that made it increasingly unlikely that it was a front for some new top-secret Kojima game. And so another nail in the coffin here is that Blue Box, when they were answering some of their own questions or riddles that they cryptically posted on the internet, uh, their answers seemed to discount these theories, right? That Kojima Mm -hmm. would somehow be involved. So it may be all sound and fury signifying nothing uh, because increasingly a lot of people are convinced that 
this studio was, uh, as Kotaku puts it, quote, bullshitting around to build hype for its low-budget horror game. And again, for the true believers, this these are all red herrings, right? This is a school of red herrings, and they and only they can see the truth, and everybody else will have to eat crow, eat humble pie, whatever uh, figure of speech you want to use, once this game comes out. And you know, Doc, Matt, I am not the biggest gamer, uh, uh, so I I was interested to read about this, but even for someone who's not as plugged in uh, like me, it is a fascinating study in how these how these ideas generate. And I'm wondering if you all would like to play a little bit, not to sound like the uh, somebody from a horror movie, but if you all would like to play a game with me, I bet you that we could do a little uh, ARG kind of stuff ourselves. I bet you we could create a conspiracy theory and propagate it. And people would believe it, despite the fact that I am on air pitching this idea to you right now. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's just in this episode, because, uh, I mean, we make so many at this point, it's going to get buried so fast. Nobody will remember that we are actively doing a conspiracy in 2022. <laughs> are, are we all in? Are you in? <laughs> it's already happening. Like, like I said, it's 2022 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> just remembering talking about this there we uh, go i like it i yeah i'm down so i just want to say there's some there's a real danger here it's a good and bad thing but i would say often it turns out to be a terrible thing for video game companies as they're trying to just hype the absolute living crap out of their games yeah. and you know i was gonna do a fun reveal or something but uh you know there's this one game I remember <laughs> that had so much hype for it. Oh, and wow. I was I was so excited to get it, and I couldn't wait. And mm. then everybody's started popping out. And uh, uh, for, for anyone who can't, for in case uh, this isn't on our YouTube channel, you're just hearing the audio version. Uh, let me narrate what happened. Matt just uh, slowly he he held up uh, he held up an object really close to the camera, and then he pulled away, and it was uh, ET e- for Atari. Yeah, it was easy. So much hype. So many popping out in that game. Oh, God. Please, let's let's remember to bleep those Ds. Okay, cool. Sorry about that, guys. That's my fault. No, but seriously, the... Yeah, the hype. Just the hype on Cyberpunk, like, it hasn't necessarily ruined a company, but it's it's taken away a lot of the goodwill, like, a tremendous amount of goodwill that gamers had for one specific company, CD Projekt Red. Huge blemish mm-hmm. on their uh, record. And it, it was because of the hype, man. I'm telling you, if this was just a cool game coming out, they could have said, oh, no, we'll um, we'll push it back again, which they should have, but they didn't. I think anyway. about that a lot, too. You know, it's it's something that's become the norm over the past decade or so as more and more people are accustomed to a world of ubiquitous nonstop information about every tiny development, uh, it, I reached a point, I'm a person who loves spoilers, I reached a point where I thought, you know, if, if there's a film or a project or an album that's coming out and I know I'm going to love it, just tell me about it like a month before. Don't tell me, you know, in five years, <laughs> you know, like in six years, right? Yeah, and even then, don't tell me that much about it. Just mm-hmm. let me know that 
hey, you're probably going to like this. And mm-hmm. I'll go, well, let me see. Keyword, keyword. Yes. Oh, action verb, <laughs> keyword. Yep, I'm in. <laughs> and definitely don't send Keanu Reeves out to get my hopes about it. Yeah, I remember you were pretty upset about that one. Everybody was kind of <laughs> afraid to talk to you on the call. Yeah. And I was so excited. <laughs> yes. I Yeah, you know, it's it's true. And there is a marketing machine and it does help a lot of people by the fact of its existence. But I wonder if we really need it. You know, I mean, marketing itself is inherently conspiratorial. Um I guess they want to get pre-orders or something. And look, we've gone pretty far in the weeds on this, but Silent, thank you for bringing this to our attention. We'll keep an eye out. And you know what? If if Hideo comes forward and is like, wahaha, I got you all, Silent Hills, then I'm going to be the first person to go on air on our show and say that the these theories were correct. At this point, it looks like it would be pretty difficult for them to be correct but there's not there's not hard proof that they're not yet but other than you know other than the studio saying we didn't sorry yeah (laughs) but as doc pointed out of course that's what they would say man so right so right well in in the meantime if you're looking for a silent hill game just go play resident evil village the village whatever it is it's the eighth one it looks like it's going to be pretty great i haven't played it yet and with that Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you are interested in video game conspiracies, uh, check out our earlier video on Polybus, I believe it's called. Yeah. Polybius. Polybus. We called it Polybius, but I think it's Polybius, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Well, check out that video. Uh, Let us know what you think. Thanks to Anonymous. Uh, Thanks to Murray. And uh, as we said earlier, thanks to Silent. So, If you would like to take a page uh, from your fellow Conspiracy Realist book, why not write to us? We can't wait to hear from you, especially if you have suggestions for topics we should cover in the future. And we try to make it easy to find us online. That is correct. We are pretty easy. Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. And you can also find us personally on Instagram and Twitter and places. Ben, uh, what are your handles? All right. Well. Quid pro quo, Clarice. Matt, if I say it, you have to say it. You have to give away yours as well. Cool. All right. All right. The covenant has been made. So you can find me at Ben Bolin, B-O-W-L-I-N, on Instagram. You can get a behind-the-scenes peek on the research uh, that's going into stuff they don't want you to know, any other, any other number of misadventures, including when I end up outside of the country, uh, at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. But if you are a person of taste and class, then there is another Instagram you should follow, and that is the Instagram of our very own Matt Frederick. Like yes. that setup? Now you basically have uh, to. Oh say man, something. now I have to. You can find me at Night City Net Stunter sixty nine. That's uh, that's my <laughs> Instagram handle. You can check that out. Um, Wait, what was it again? Just so everybody remembers, Night City, uh-huh. like night and then city net stunter 69 okay that's my that's my handle you'll find it you'll you'll find it uh and then if you don't want to do social media (laughs) we also have a phone number that you can actually call us and and (laughs) leave a message our number is 1-833-STD-WYTK You'll have three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Just let us give yourself a, a sick nickname. 
Uh, let us know what you'd like us to call you. Uh, most importantly, let us know whether or not we can use your name and voice and message on the air. Tell us what's on your mind. If you have something personal that you just want to share with our crew, uh, but you don't want it getting all over a podcast, that's fine. Just put it at the end. Even more importantly than that, if you have a story, if you have an idea that needs more than three minutes, then don't feel like you have to censor yourself. Don't feel like you have to edit yourself. Just write to us directly. We read every single message we receive at our good old-fashioned email address, which is conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.